Friday, I took my one-year-old son, Jimmy, to Yosemite for the first time. (laughs) It was a big day for our family, not only because it was our first father-son trip together alone, but also because Jimmy's middle name is Muir, as in John Muir. As we entered the valley, I imagined Muir's stony gaze lighting up. This year, there were waterfalls no one could remember ever seeing before. Stunning. It's an amazing place. We went up there because Mary Beth and Henry were supposed to go, my wife and three-year-old son, uh, were supposed to go to Connecticut to visit um, two of her friends um, from grad school that now live out there. Um, That couple, they're Caitlin and Dave Stittleman. They are a neurologist and a pediatric surgeon, respectively. And they are among the litany of absurdly smart and fun people that Mary Beth's Mary Beth came across in her grad school days at Penn in Philly. All these people do just amazing things. Caitlin and Dave work at Yale New Haven Hospital. And Dave, um, when he was training for this incredible position that he does now, he did something that I I cannot believe, first of all, that anybody does at all, but that people who are, are still in their training process do. It seems like complete magic to me. It is Fetal surgery. I mean, this is cutting edge stuff. They are doing neutero surgery. Uh, the hospital describes it this way of the 4 million babies born every year in the U.S., 120,000 of them, or 3%, have a complex birth defect. This kind of birth defect that will severely change their lives and perhaps. Uh, make it impossible for them to continue in life. Um, so they do these surgeries, this uh, fetal surgery on everything from bladder and chest shunt replacements to fetal cardiac surgery. Amazing, right? Um, one of the more complex things that they do is a surgery for the most severe form of spina bifida, which um, is is when a baby's spinal cord does not fully develop, and part of it sometimes is actually outside of, of the skin. Um, as you could imagine, it's extraordinarily dangerous for, for a baby born that way. So before the baby is born, they do a surgery, neurosurgery on a fetus. How do you train for that? How do you prepare yourself to do surgery on a fetus? The answer is years and years of training. I mean, it seems impossible to me, but over time, as Mary Beth will explain to me, as Dave, the the, uh, surgeon, explains to me, it really feels like no big deal. By the time you get there, it's a walk in the park. Behind all this walk in the park is a refrain often repeated within the medical community. See one, do one, teach one. See one, do one, teach one. This mantra articulates the core of the learning process. It stimulates different parts of the brain and makes for a firm foundation of memory so that when the time comes for you to operate on a living fetus or do some other form of magic, It really isn't magic at all. 
you're just doing your job. You're doing the work that has been passed down to you. Your teachers, now co-workers, say to you, now it's your turn. That's precisely the moment we have in Matthew's gospel today. Jesus is saying to the disciples, now it's your turn. You have been with me through all of this. You have seen things and done things that are life-changing and life-giving. Now it's your turn. In fact, the whole Gospel of Matthew is really a huge complex example of see one, do one, teach one. The disciples witness Jesus being himself in the world. He heals the sick. He brings good news to the oppressed. He lives into connection with God and neighbor. See one. Then, in Matthew 10, Jesus sends the disciples out to heal the sick and to tell those who are lost or hopeless, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the disciples' do one moment. Notice, Jesus doesn't wait for the perfect time for them to do one. The disciples aren't fully trained. This sending is their training. It's on-the-job training. And they come back to learn more, to live into the relationship, the way of being that Jesus is trying to impart. The, that way of being, being culminates in the cross. The way of self-sacrifice, of nonviolent resistance. See if I can turn this thing down a little. It's a little bit noisy. In order to learn anything meaningful, we have to be engaged at multiple levels. See one, do one, teach one. For many of us gathered here and for our friends around, graduation is on the horizon. This is a time of transition. For the past few years, you or they have been learning, you and they have been training. School is an incredible time in life. In the best case, school is a time when we are wide open. We try new things, we think new thoughts, we explore and learn in ways we likely won't for most of our lives. And that openness is inspiring. It affects us so much. I don't think it's a coincidence that many of our closest friends throughout life are connected to our experiences in school connected to experiences of learning. I just had my 20th high school reunion last, last night, uh, which was fun, and it, it didn't seem all that weird. Um, it was amazing to see all these people that I basically grew up with and to hear what they are all doing now, uh, to meet their kids and spouses and hear their stories. You know, I love all that. And I love hearing what my school is doing, how it's changing and developing, but I'm also acutely aware of the dangers of nostalgia, of trying to relive the past or freeze change. It's easy to get in a rut in our learning, in our careers, in our relationships, in our faith. It can be scary and exhausting to keep up with the changes in the world. And that's why I love this moment of doubt there with the disciples 
on the mountain in Galilee. It strikes me as true, as real. These folks, imagine what these guys have been through. And I know it's mostly guys. There are, we know it's not entirely guys. It's, and it, it's a shame that it's thought of that way. These folks have seen Jesus through all these incredible times. And here they are at what seems like the easiest moment. Here is Jesus resurrected with them. Jesus' underhand pitch. You know, it's the, it's the softball pitch. But the disciples, some of the disciples whiff. They, they miss it. They don't, it doesn't get much press in Matthew's gospel. But the line, when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. It's an amazing line. Amazing that it's in the Bible at all. And I love that sort of thing in the Bible. I love the complexity, the human richness. We assume that the doubt is that uh, some disciples weren't sure that it was really Jesus. And I imagine there was a good deal of self-doubt mixed in there. In the face of this huge change, they were frozen. Like the nostalgia. I have to admit that I have felt this kind of doubt freeze since November. In the face of the atrocities and confusion of the Trump administration, I have been numb, frozen, wondering passively, what can I do? I heard this great phrase the other day, uh, this little saying, when it feels like you have the weight of the world on your shoulders, remember, that's not how gravity works. <laughs> There's a power much greater than us. As I watched the Comey hearing this week, I noticed myself nervous. I was hoping for testimony that would end the charade of leadership, hoping for a change in government. Then I remembered. My hope is not in the United States government. My hope is in God. And the refrain at the beginning and end of the psalm today, the line that we read all together, reminds us of this. It reads, O Lord, our leader. It sounds generic and perhaps meaningless. It's one of those lines in the psalms you probably skim over, but it is very powerful. Lord is really Adonai, the, the phrase articulated for the divine, the divine name that we do not say. And the term we read as leader is really governor, ruler, or president. This is our God. Oh God, you are my president. Oh Jesus, you are our leader. In God we trust it is in and through that eternal strength that we change the world. And that is what Paul reminds us in Philippians 4.13, which is often quoted. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Yes, I love that many of us know it. This is crucial to the gospel for today. Jesus has completed his work, the see one, do one, teach one of his life. So he passes the baton to the disciples he reminds them of the work that is ahead for them. They have seen this work, they have done this work, and now they must teach this work. They must pass it 
on. A few days before Jimmy and I were in the Yosemite Valley, climber Alex Honold made history on El Capitan. A couple of you have seen this. The three, he climbed up the 3,000-foot granite wall that is the gatekeeper of the valley, that beautiful first huge granite face you see as you enter Yosemite from the west. Last Saturday, Alex walked to the bottom of that iconic face with nothing but his climbing shoes and a bag of chalk, and he started climbing alone. Had he fallen? Had a piece of rock broken off? Had a burn bird flown by him and shaken him? Had a gust of wind blown across his hands too hard and they froze? He would have died. To say nothing of vertigo or doubt. Instead, he did the impossible. And what I love about this story is not the daredevil death-defying feat, but the training that went into it. For years, Honold has been free soloing in Yosemite. For years, he has climbed with another, of his te another teacher, Tommy Caldwell. Three years ago, Mary Beth, Henry, and I were in Yosemite Valley in the winter when Caldwell made history by climbing a route on El Capitan called the Dawn Wall with using only ropes. People thought that area was unclimbable in general, but to do it without use of modern technology seemed unfathomable. It seemed an impossible task, but Caldwell did the impossible and stepped into a new role. Teacher. See one. Do one. Teach one. Caldwell learned from others, and he did the impossible, and he helped Alex Honnold do something even more incredible. So today is Trinity Sunday. It's easy to get caught up in the minutia of Trinitarian theology and miss the point. We're not going to dive into the abyss right now. But the point, or a point, is this. We experience God in many ways, and we know that anyway, Right? We know that. We know that we experience God while surfing and music and silence and meditation and climbing and the birth of a child and healing and good news and learning and inspiration. We have seen God at work. God in relationship. And now it's our turn. Now we stepped into that work of building the kingdom, that work of deep relationship in which we learn from one another, see one, do one, teach one. Some of that work before us seems impossible. Combating climate change, dismantling systemic racism, even just being a nice person to whomever is next to you, Sometimes it feels like free soloing El Cap. It feels like neurosurgery on a fetus. It feels impossible until we remember where to place our trust. 
And it is impossible if we try to do it alone. But on this Trinity Sunday, we remember God is with you. Jesus is with you. The spirit of the eternal and unnameable God is with you always. So go. Do the impossible. Amen.